You're listening to Our Tunes. Music appreciation and digital media discourse. Welcome to Our Tunes. I'm Lewis. And I'm Brad. And I'm Evan. Yo, Evan, what's up? <laughs> hello. Hey, man. Hello, hello. <laughs> Evan. You're calling in from Richmond. What are you listening to down there? The beautiful sounds of y'all's voices. Aw, too kind. <laughs> <laughs> what you been? Uh, what you been on recently? Like uh, last week? I've been very much into the new Alex G. to this band I found out about recently called TV Room. Lean over me Falling off the log You don't believe Truthfully I make it all up Beneath me so shallow Step on my hand Just to keep me Stacy. Another band called Pile of Love Maybe a little bit of Miley Cyrus. I got some baggage, let's do some damage. I'm not made for no horse and carriage. You know I'm savage, but you're looking past it. I want that late night sweet magic, that forever lasting love. But only if it's with you. A little spice. A little spice, a little spice of Cyrus. Is she up to something new these days? She is, yeah. She's got a new record coming out next month. I'm usually about like five to ten years behind. Like the <laughs> popular culture wave is we'll get into a little bit further from now. If you go onto SZA's Spotify and look at her amount of plays, I think 80% of those are probably mine. Dang. I mean, I definitely am heavily rotating that SZA album. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's just you and me, buddy. I think that we're contributing to all of it. Great. Really good album. Brad, you should definitely... And it came out this year? A very end of last year. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Too late for uh, Spotify wrapped to include it. Do you think artists think about that? Do you think that's like a thing that like popular artists will be like, oh, I have to release it before November or else I won't be enwrapped. There are some artists that are doing that intentionally because they want to make it for like whatever awards season or to garner a certain amount of buzz. I'm sure Spotify Wrapped has changed that. I mean, Spotify's already changed a ton of things. So, Lewis, what have you been listening to? I've been like deeply burrowed into a wintertime cave of hushed reverb that actually Evan showed me, which is uh, this woman plays under the name Skull Crusher.
breathtaking, haunting reverb and like just chilling, dark and beautiful yeah, shit. Yeah. It's ah, uh, dude, I love it so much. There's a lot of like space in that record too. There's a lot of like space to breathe and like sort of release tension. Uh, but it is very somber. It's like a very somber, like wintry record. I got into it because I saw one of my good friends listen to it nonstop on his Spotify. And I was like, Skull Crusher. That sounds cool. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. It's way different. Absolutely. Yeah, the crushing of your skull happens in a much more psychological sense than like a literal one. <laughs> the vibe is so consistent throughout and the soundscapes are really wonderful. That's been my little uh, indulgence. Brad, what are you uh, What are you on? I am also in a bit of a, like a winter sort of soundscape. I'm going to give you two albums that actually I have come to find. It sort of came about at the same period in a similar kind of movement that was, I don't know how widely this term was used at the time, but has since been called Sophistapop. The first album was this album called Jordan, The Comeback by Prefab Sprout. Came out in 1990. I'll give you the second album too. It's called uh, Hats by the Blue Nile. out in 1989 i was gravitated to both in some ways because they're very like synth heavy but they're also soul sounds definitely they're british they have these 80s synths they're definitely like sort of engaging songwriters synth sounds are very 80s vibe is kind of saccharine it's kind of melancholy the blue nile was from glasgow the sophisticated pop movement kind of developed out of like British new wave. I mentioned this to a few people that I was listening to these albums or maybe I had it on and someone overheard it. And the reaction I got was like, not super like positive. (laughs) (laughs) And not everyone is sophista pop. Yeah. So (laughs) I, I, when I was listening to it, I wasn't thinking to myself, I'm, I'm like a sophisticated dude. Um, and instead, it, it's brought in this like this deep feeling of self-doubt. Oh, no. I'm like, I'm like a, do I not know what good is anymore? And, what, what are, what's the like legacy of these albums? And if you look it up... They got, like, high ratings on, like, all music. Part of it is, like, well, maybe they just didn't age well. But then another part of me is, like, maybe there's some music that just isn't supposed to be widely liked. Is it okay to listen to music that other people don't like? How are you supposed to feel about yourself? Do you have to, like, hide and listen to this music alone? No. No. I think you should be allowed to listen to Sophistapop 
as much as you want, whenever you want. Oh, for sure. For sure. Listen to whatever makes you happy, you know? I've gotten to the point in my life where, like, I just don't care what people think I listen to. I really don't. So I'll always remember this. This was a defining moment in me becoming a person in society. And it was when I was at a party that I was invited to that I was like, I had no business being there. <laughs> I was not in the ranks of this level of cool. Sometime in college, I was so nervous I wasn't talking to anyone, so I was sitting next to this iPod, and I put this song on, and I, I know it was Battles. What song it was? Battles is party music at my house. Yeah, Brad. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and someone walked over to me, and they they turned the music off, and they said <laughs> they said battles is not party music, <laughs> and then walked Dude, away. I mean, um, Brad, I wish I could find them and slap them. <laughs> that's so rude. So it's it's always kind of lingered with me this like sense of responsibility that I can't just think about myself when I'm listening to music in a space with others. But at the same time, I'm like, if I'm like feeling the vibe of Sophistapop, like I'm like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta expose this to the world, but then I have to deal with, you know, the potential consequences of a negative, negative reaction. But for some people, it also might be a game changer because they might see your decision as like a permission to be open about what they like, right? And sharing these things. That's right. And... Also, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> well, yeah, Evan, we're really glad to have you on. I know you're, uh, as you stated in your voicemail, which we loved to hear, <laughs> you are a longtime <laughs> listener, first time caller. Yeah, I love the show, guys. It's it's a lot of fun. As a person who has, I think, a pretty similar trajectory in their musical life in terms of, like, collecting music, coming of age in, like, this digital time, hoarding MP3s from nefarious sources, moving on to a nostalgic rub, collecting records and stuff. Oh, for sure. You know, I wanted to ask... How do you feel about, like, the erasure of digital libraries? Was that something you were really attached to? I was. I was really into it. Like, I mean, like you said, I grew up, we all grew up in that sort of age where music was turning into, like, a digital thing. I grew up getting CDs. That was, like, my big way of getting it. And then burning the CDs. Which feels so clunky. Huge books of all these dumb CDs, and I still have mine. 50% of them are probably burned. The other 50% are all scratched with services like Napster coming along, just disrupting everything around that time. Winamp and LimeWire and like all that stuff. I was deeply into all of that because I just wanted more. I wanted more. I was going to shows frequently around then. And I really do still wish I had my original laptop with all that stuff on it. It's, it's long dead. Yeah. So were you listening to, like, contemporary music? 
was that music that was being like relatively made at that time period? It was, yeah. Around that time, I was very into like hardcore. Not as much anymore, but back then, absolutely. That was like my genre. I remember when I got Last FM, when that first started coming out, their algorithm would find other like listeners who scrobbled similar oh, things. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, I was mainly listening to prog rock from the 70s, so it was mostly like older white dudes. You know, you're just like this guy. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Here are your boomer friends, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> So Evan, can I ask, I know you're a musician, your first instruments were that you picked up and learned, did that like shape what kind of music you were listening to at the time? Uh, not until I really got into drums, not my first instrument. My first one was in elementary school. I was a trombone player. Very classy. That's a hard, a hard one. Yeah. From there, I quickly ditched that. And then went into drums because I thought drums were just like the coolest thing. They were like rock stars instrument. I mean, um, you were right. You're not like audience facing or kind of like tucked in the back, <laughs> which I really, really enjoy. I think there's like a lot you can do with that. And I think that did shape this kind of stuff I listen to. Not to, like, force a segue. I could tell listening to uh, your homework assignment, I was like... Drums are pretty, pretty driving here. <laughs> they're driving, yeah. And, <laughs> and once we like get into that, like they're like that jazz influence also speaks to me because my dad is a huge jazz fan, and that was like another aspect of drums I really liked was like the freedom to express through that. I grew up playing the bass. I was into prog rock, so naturally I gravitated to Rush. Neil Peart is a huge popular drummer and like drumming magazine and of course he's great but like you don't have to play that much you don't have to be hitting everything constantly all the time like i had a really good friend in college who was really into the meters he really turned me on to uh, this drummer zigaboo helped break me out of the prog rock over drumming now when i hear it i'm just like dude it's not all about you <laughs> exactly exactly and some of like the best drummers just stay in the pocket like dave grohl is like an impressive drummer because he just knows how to like stick to a beat less is more neil pert is like the excess right many dozen piece drum kit that spins around him yeah it's yeah it's a performance rest um, in peace neil oh uh, yeah <laughs> all right peace This is homework. That wasn't a bad segue. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. Well, first off, Evan, I thought you really did a great introduction yeah, to the, this homework assignment. <laughs> like, I was like, wow, this is great. I'll just start off by saying I've never heard of this band. And as you know from prior episodes, like, I am very much a neophyte when it comes to, like, understanding hardcore post hardcore mm -hmm. honestly it seems like discord records to do big picture first this is on the discord label and that seems to be like a real powerhouse for punk oh yeah they they really did like start a foundation with all of that like minor threat fugazi like the, all those dudes that like whole dc thing 
it's a very like incestuous group and i have definitely some things to bring up on that in my discussion with lewis about this sort of movement at least this scene in dc was like really influential it was political it was kind of like of the moment the scene that was going on right then and there Mm -hmm. Uh, I really loved the description on Discord records oh, yeah, of the nation of, of Ulysses. <laughs> I'm guessing that one of them probably, like someone from the band probably wrote it, serious and not serious at the same time. Exactly. That's how I always interpreted that band. So I'll just read the first sentence. It says, The nation of Ulysses was a violent separatist political party <laughs> and terrorist group operating out of Washington, D.C. in the early 1990s. Yep, I think that's exactly how they wanted to be viewed, and at the same time, a total, like, joke on the establishment itself. Exactly, exactly. And it comes across in their music, like, so much more. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I also read that description on Discord, which, like, the Discord website looks like it's, you know, straight out of 15 or 20 years ago. I don't think it's, like, you know, super updated, but this is, like... Right, a pre-9-11 album, a band that self-describes as a terrorist group, can go ahead and do that. They feel this kind of disillusionment. They feel disaffected. And that is just, that is like so core. Reading the words that are by Nietzsche, that's like the, the monologue. To you, the bold and foolish lambs, to you who are... To you who are intoxicated with riddles let's go who take pleasure in twilight whose souls are lured by noise to every treacherous abyss for you do not feel for a rope like cowards and where you can guess you hate to calculate and where others would poison you dismember this is the dark pit they perceive themselves to be like living in digging it deeper sonically there's a lot that i latched onto on this album extremely chaotic super raw like it sounds like it was recorded live with a few overdubs like it's just like a fucking (laughs) burst of energy like so insane brad mentioned the drumming the drummer in this band is uh james canty who's the brother of the fugazi drummer if i'm not mistaken right of i think yeah i think you're right james canty is also a guitar player in ted leo and the pharmacists which was like sort of pop punk Maybe pop punk meets like Thin Lizzy kind of thing. And I really liked that band in high school. But like this Nation of Ulysses record at this moment in time, I think I was probably like 10 years, like too young to have like been anywhere near the wave that this was making, like in the scene. Lewis, had you ever heard of this? No, I mean, I'd I'd heard of them. Right. And that's that's its own uh, social currency. But like I'd never listened to this band. And this is a later kind of acquisition for me. I been familiar with the name in a sense just because it is on discord i think i was just starting to watch this is i don't know how many years ago this is but i was watching the state which is like a sketch comedy show and i really like the intro song
So I kind of like did a little deep dive in like what this like weird song is about. The show was on MTV, so it had to be some kind of like music kind of reference. And I saw that the composer of that song just took like samples of three or four different songs from this record and like composed this whole new song. I have to hear this band now, like whatever this is really piques my interest. There's a lot of moments on this album where I like real, just straight up pure beauty that shines through like the, the fucking cacophony, like the wall of noise <laughs> to that last train to cool. Probably my favorite song on this record. But it has this enormous sound and there's just like these the dueling guitars kind of inflected like bits of trumpet in there hooked me so hard like it just meshed together in a way that none of the other songs quite did they accidentally made like almost pop sound and i love that their use of trumpet is like so sporadic and like so weird it's just kind of like flutters sometimes here and there kind of like has a free jazz sound which on the spotify version of the album they have a song towards the end that i, I don't think was the on, on the original record called the sound of jazz to come I think kind of alludes to the shape of jazz to come that ornette coleman mm. album you know there's a couple songs on here that are definitely like a little different and like jazzy or vampy like if you heard it out of context you'd be, you wouldn't be like this is on like a hardcore post-hardcore album i love those moments in this record because it kind of gives you like a room to breathe and not like have this like screaming maniac in your ear the whole way through here's like a nice little soft jazz minute <laughs> Ian Svononius is the front man, and yeah, he's just like a totally manic dude. I was reading some stuff about him, and it's just like the face of this band, and he is just like a ball of energy, violent and disaffected. I read some stuff about him, like talking about how the punk music that founded the genre was just like, at this point, commercial trash, and this is clearly not music that's being made to be like marketed, right? This is our art and fuck you. And then and this is like in 92, so that was like grunge was just like popping off left and right. And they were in DC just like making this. Definitely a couple of songs where it seemed to like call out like older, for lack of a better word, establishment mu music. In the very opening track, they were like, this isn't the Beatles. Evan, I think maybe when you were describing it, when you assigned it to us, you said something about like juvenile yeah. something. It's crass. It's juvenile in like a good way. This is what we're making. I don't care if you like, like it or not, we're going to do it. I think what's rare now, it's so hard to like create something new or try to like rebirth a punk scene or a punk genre with any authenticity. These guys really did that. And I just don't think the circumstances just don't seem to exist. And if, the, if that is happening now, it's like very like rare. And when you come across a band these days, that's like really pushing boundaries. I don't know, it's like one in a million these days. As I said earlier, I'm kind of like always more inclined to look backwards in time. I've never really felt like I was seeing music that was like 
cutting edge in the moment. I'm kind of wondering if like that frenetic energy, whether that is just like really powered by people who are just like, what the fuck is this? Not only seeing that and like being blown away by it, but like also identifying with it. I think the political nature of like this album is like a huge draw for people who, again, feel like the American dream is a lie. We're living out like, you know, the Reagan era has passed and everyone is just like maybe seeing the veil pulled back on some like fake American dream. It's very honest. It is very honest, but I feel there's also like a lot of humor in some of the lyrics. It's just kind of like, do I really mean what I say? You know, it's a very tongue in cheek, like. Especially like a, a like the the cover of the song Mockingbird, like that's just like a funny little thing. So the band was only together from 1988 to 92. Very brief period. They released two albums before they they broke up. I guess the third one came out like years later. Yeah. I'm like, wow, like 88 to 92. Is there a chance that I can find something on YouTube of mm. them? And there's actually like three or four live sets that you can find on YouTube from around 91, 92. Clearly someone has digitized from VHS. You can really get the vibe of like what their stage show is like. Moshing, crowd surfing. I read somewhere that uh, the lead singer Ian, he had broken an arm, broken a leg busted his head on many occasions you see the show and he's just like flailing around like hitting the ground like, um, how'd you break those limbs bro yeah. <laughs> a dude's built like a skeleton anyway there was a lot to unpack in this album beneath the noise there was the the song the hickey underworld That's one of my favorites on this whole record, yeah. The verse especially really just called up like Sonic Youth to me. You know, not a ripoff or anything, but just like, okay, again, a groove erupts out of nowhere and maybe it's an accident or maybe it's just like you feel it for a moment and then they like take it away and it's back to like smashing shit. And I think like even though like they were around for such a short time, they were like highly influential. Well, I think they're quite aware of their status because the second sentence on Discord Records says, though they've disappeared into obscurity, They've spawned countless milk toast imitators who try to appropriate their looks, language, sound, and presentation for the sake of career advancement. And there you go. That's, again, another, <laughs> another dunk on uh, commercial punk right there. Evan, what, is this, what does this record mean to you? Like, I guess, how does it make you feel? It brings me back to, back to youth. It's like juvenile in sound, but like, I think that's a good thing. Getting older, we start to like smooth out, especially in my personal life. And going back to this, there's like so much influence in myself and like in my playing, in my instrument that I can like harken back to this. Like I love jazz, I love punk, I love hardcore and all the genres and subgenres in between. I like, I like to soak all that stuff in and make it very personal. And I think this just does like a really good way of like putting it all together. That's very cool. I love that. You both have more depth of knowledge and experience in, in the vein of hardcore and punk. 
what would you say is kind of like the novel thing that they're doing here? Musicality aspects, there's the performativity aspects. Off the top of your head, what, what do you feel like they were really like pushing the boundaries of? This communal and DIY aspect to me is all like these people who all they would do is hang out with each other, be in bands together, write music together fill out these clubs in DC and just like go insane, like stage diving and moshing. And like, I think that kind of community is something that everyone who's making this kind of music is still aspiring to. They'll be like, yeah, I just want to play like a room of people going insane. If you were in that circle of people, you had to like play shows constantly and like move around the scenes. I was reading a book recently, that Beastie Boys book, and they talk a lot about like, how they were all huge fans of Bad Brains, and Bad Brains come up, came up to New York, and they were just, like, enamored by this whole thing that, like, DC had already put into motion. They wanted to just be Bad Brains. DC had it, New York eventually had it, it went out to LA, and it was kind of like this, like, big web of these, like, like-minded kids who didn't have the internet to connect through, go to each other's shows, become part of each other's circles when they were on tour like they would like meet up and all this stuff that was like such a huge important aspect of like this whole scene starting out when i was looking at nation of ulysses uh, wikipedia page it mentioned that while they were a band they published a zine and if you go down to the footnotes and you click on a link it will take you to like PDF. Yeah, like a MySpace page where someone's <laughs> uploaded images of it. On one, they were saying that we should give up on the notion of beauty and instead should focus on fashion. What I was getting from it was like you have more agency over fashion. And then they had like fashion tips, and then one of them was like cut your hair. <laughs> like, long hair is symbolic of like, I don't know, hippies or something. I don't know. <laughs> is it serious? Is it tongue in cheek? I just don't know. <laughs> the zine was called Ulysses Speaks, subtitled The Party Organ for the Nation of Ulysses. <laughs> the party organ. I love it. The whole story, like the whole lore behind all that stuff is so interesting to me. This is a punk band that burns so bright and then just like extinguishes less than three total albums in their career. Thank you for this homework, Evan. It accomplished the task, which was getting us to listen to something that was totally new to us and inspiring, like, a pretty fucking good conversation. And that, that's what, exactly what I wanted to do. I was like, well, Brad is not going to love the vocals, but <laughs> he might appreciate some of the musicality behind it. I don't know. I just need to stop cringing when uh, <laughs> I'm offered hard... Like, I just... I, I, I really did. There's nothing I didn't like about this album. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Lewis, I'm trying to think. So are you assigning me something? Yeah, I have to assign you homework. I want to keep giving you, like... Punk and hardcore. No, no. <laughs> Do something newer. Do something, like, not 90s. How about uh, early 2000s? <laughs> that contains a lot of, like, pop brilliance, but it's something that you also haven't heard a lot of or spent any time with. Okay. I want to assign you the post-punk revival band Block Party, okay. <laughs> their debut album, Silent <laughs> Alarm, Okay. which is... A fucking amazing album. Pretty much every single track is a banger. All right. Yep. I'll be studying. Uh, Evan, if you feel like listening to that album too, you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think I'll skip on the block party. I've listened to it enough. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for dropping us a line. Please keep listening. We always enjoy <laughs> hearing from our uh, devoted <laughs> listeners. You, yeah, dude. Once you put it on Spotify and Apple Music, I was like, oh, thank God. You can keep listening. And you can follow us on Twitter at Artunes Pod and on Instagram at Artunes Podcast. Thanks, Ev. All right, now. Our guest today was Evan Dormont. I'm Lewis Weil. Brad Lanute. Our producer is Rob Hughes. Thanks for listening. Drop us a line. Drop us a recommendation. Watch a weird video of Nation of Ulysses performing at the Black Cat, probably. And you too can assign us homework. Yeah. If you're a devoted enough listener. <laughs> <laughs>